Enjoying this episode of The Late Show Pod Show? Then head to cohst.app slash late show or visit the link in the description to fill out our quick two-minute survey all about getting to know you. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest this evening is the first member of Gen Z to be elected to Congress. Please welcome the freshman congressman from Florida's 10th District, Representative Maxwell Frost. Nice to have you on. It's great to be here. Well, a lot of people talk and, and make a big deal out of the fact that this is the oldest Congress in United States history. And there is 60 years between you and the eldest member of Congress, uh, my friend Bill Pascrell from New Jersey. What, what is it like to be 26 there? What, 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 do you feel that distance in age between you and everybody else? Sometimes I do. You know, there were, there's been a lot of young people who've come before me who have made it possible for me to be in the caucus and have respect, right, and be able to do my work. And I'm really grateful for them. Um, but I'm oftentimes the, you know, button of some jokes, um, I remember one of my first times I addressed the caucus, I was talking about uh, my time in South Carolina, and I went to Jim Clyburn has a fish fry. And I remember going to that fish fry and being amazed of how many people were there. And I said to everybody, I said, it felt like the Coachella of the South. And half of the room laughed, and half of the room, they, like, looked puzzled. Then afterwards, I had a ton of members, older members come up to me and say, what would you say about cockroach, cockroach cella, or what, what is it? <laughs> And I had the mm-hmm. opportunity to explain what Coachella was to them. Oh, well, opportunity to educate is always welcome. Exactly. Well, there's, there's a lot of drama in Congress right now. You're there at a very interesting time, and that's not entirely a compliment to the times, to say that Congress narrowly avoided a shutdown just recently. Well, what was that like? Well, here's the thing. Since the day I've gotten to Congress, I've been in the midst of all the chaos, right? When I first got there, we voted for Speaker of the House 15 times. Mm-hmm. I got sworn in at 2 a.m. on a Friday night, right? So that's my experience coming in the Congress. And it feels why, like Why 2 a.m. on a Friday night? Well, because the Republicans couldn't get, get their stuff together and they couldn't elect the Speaker. And it took us 15 times and we went into the dead of the night doing it. And that's when I got sworn in. There wasn't really much pomp and circumstance. I was like, time to grab some Taco Bell and go to sleep. Like, it, it, was, it was late at night. Mm-hmm. And it feels like every other month that I've been in Congress, there's some sort of, like, huge disaster coming, right? It was that, then it was the debt ceiling, the uh, country defaulting, then we just had the government shutdown, and now we don't have a Speaker of the House. So, okay, no Speaker of the House. Um, to most people, they go, ah, oh, big deal, no Speaker. What, what does that mean to the, the business yeah. of the House with, without a Speaker? So, so, essentially, we can't do anything. Congress really can't legislate without having a speaker. The speaker is the person who schedules everything that goes on in Congress for the most part. And so we're at a standstill right now. And, and it's right, not an optional position. It's a constitutional oh, it's position. A constitutional it has to be fulfilled. It has okay. to be fulfilled. So right it's totally, Congress is totally paralyzed, but for a reason this time. For a reason, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Why, let me ask you this, yeah. and I think this is a fair question. Why didn't you Democrats save Kevin McCarthy? Because, it's, you know, you're young. You may not understand that everything the Republicans do to each other is the responsibility of the Democrats to fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Has that been explained to you by the press? Yeah, yeah, uh, enough, right? Okay. I, I'd, say, I'd say two things. Number one, the Republicans need a lot more than me to fix what they have going on. Mm -hmm. And number two... And I'd say number two, which is very important, is, look, we've been fighting to save food stamps, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid this entire year as the Republicans have been working to take it away and uh, take away that funding. And so I'm just, you know, letting them pull themselves up by their bootstraps. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to give them... <laughs> I, I don't want to give them any of that socialism. You know what I mean? Exactly. They yeah. got to do it for themselves. Yeah, exactly. Now, you recently went to an event at the White House... There you are between the president and the vice president announcing the Office of Gun Violence and Prevention. What, what does this office do? So, and what does it do? And, and also, why, why is it so important to you personally? I mean, it's so important to me because I got involved in politics because of gun violence. Right? I was 15 when the Sandy Hook shooting happened. And that shooting and going to the memorial is what prompted me to get involved in the first place. So I've been fighting to end gun violence for most of my life. Mm -hmm. The first bill I introduced as a member of Congress was to create a federal office of gun violence prevention. Believe it or not, up until two weeks ago, we didn't have one. A single office working day to day on this issue. We lose 100 lives a day. And look, as a freshman member of the minority in Congress, it's difficult to create a federal office in you know, your first year. Did you and have so partners across the aisle? We did not on this legislation, not yet. And so we worked with great organizations outside. This is something I've been fighting for since before Congress. And the president decided to take that piece of legislation and enact it via executive action and create the office. And so right now, we, for the first time ever, we have an Office of Gun Violence Prevention. What is the... Um, what, is, what, what, will, what will it hope to do? And I know prevent yeah. gun violence, but, it, but sort of is there anything analogous in the government yeah. right now that it might be modeled on? Like what? Yeah, it has three main missions. Number one, to uh, speed up the implementation of what's called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. What is that? Well, last year, Congress, for the first time in 30 years, passed the first piece of gun violence prevention legislation. There's a lot of money in there that can be given to cities and, and nonprofits across the country to help end gun violence. We want to speed that process up, so they're working at doing that. Number two, they're managing the president's portfolio on gun violence and figuring out what executive actions can we take. As you said, Congress can't do anything right now. And honestly, even if we had another Republican speaker, we probably wouldn't be passing legislation on gun violence because it seems like they're okay with kids being mowed down in their schools. And so the president said enough is enough, created this office, and part of what they're going to do is figuring out how do we pass through executive action good things so that way we can end gun violence. And the third one is, look, when these shootings happen, um, there needs to be an apparatus that comes in and helps the community heal. We might move on when it's outside of the news, but at the end of the day, who doesn't move on is the community and it's the families. So they are working to act sort of like a FEMA, right, after a natural disaster. How do you go to these communities and help them rebuild and bring people along on this fight to make sure it never happens again? We have to take a quick break, but stick around. We'll be right back with more Representative Maxwell Frost, everybody.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate, though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week, I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. It is the youngest representative in Congress right now, Representative Maxwell Frost of Florida. Representative, I'm curious, when you look across the aisle at people who... Um, ran for office, were elected to Congress, one, one imagines for what they believe are good reasons, um, and they have their own system uh, of values. Do, do you get a sense of what um, it is like for that caucus on the other side of the aisle right now? What, what, are, what are they fighting about? Do you know? They're fighting amongst themselves. I mean, what happened? But I'm is... curious, like, what is it? Do you hear them fighting with each other? And I mean, I, no, but I mean that <laughs> yeah, semi seriously. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. as you walk by the cloakroom, do you hear them screaming at no. each other? And and if so, what is the actual argument about? Because I can't quite figure out what the goal is. I, I don't know what it is either. When I walk by the cloakroom, I smell cigars, um, and so I, I don't, you know. I don't know what they're fighting about. I mean, what they say and w- what we see is the far, far, far right wing of their party, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, all these folks, want to control the entire Congress. Mm-hmm. And so remember when I was talking about those 15 votes for speaker? Yeah. Well, former speaker Kevin McCarthy wanted to be speaker by any means necessary. And so he gave Matt Gates and this far right Republican part of his party the ability to vacate him and bring up that question with one and so when I get asked, you know, what, where were Democrats on this whole issue, I like to tell people he created this issue himself to get into power. And when you have a Speaker of the House who's working day to day to keep his job and not for the American people, this is what happens. And so it's really unfortunate. Before I let you go, I want to I ask you something about your home state. Florida gets a bad rap, you know? Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, do you think it's deserved, or do you, would you like to set the record straight yeah, about, about, about Florida, man? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm proud to be a Florida man. Mm-hmm. I'm proud to be a Florida man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a beautiful state. I used to say I come from the great state of Florida, and I say the beautiful state, and we are a beautiful state. You know, 
I, I always want people to know that Florida is actually a progressive state in terms of policy. Within the last few election cycles, over 60% of Floridians have said yes to medical marijuana, a $15 minimum wage, giving voting rights to people with previous felonies. These are progressive policies that most Floridians are for. And so we have a problem right now with the difference between policy and politics. And that's why we have a And implementation, too, isn't it? Because yeah. the 15, allowing uh, people, uh, giving the, the vote back to people who had yeah. served their sentences, well, roadblocks were thrown in front of that yep. by the DeSantis administration. Exactly. Where you had to pay fees back or something like that. A poll before, tax. A poll tax to get it back. So how do you square your vision of Florida being actually progressive in something like a six-week abortion ban that was just signed by DeSantis? Those things don't seem to go together. They don't go together. And that's why he signed that abortion ban in the middle of the night at like 1 or 2 a.m. And he doesn't talk about it on his presidential campaign because he knows it's bad policy. Right? It's something that the majority of Floridians are not for. And so that's that difference between politics and policy. DeSantis and people like him really thrive when there's ambiguity there. What does he talk about? Wokeness and culture wars. He's not talking about bills because when he talks about that, he knows his approvals will go down because most Floridians disagree with it. And you see it at the ballot box. And I want to tell everyone, too, next year, abortion will be on the ballot in Florida, and we will see it pass. And hopefully that will give, yeah, hopefully that will give some inspiration to people with our state. Do you think uh, Ron DeSantis brags that he turned Florida deep red, and yet here you are? What is your yeah. what, what do you think of that assessment? I disagree. I mean, I'll say two things. My friend Greg Casada says this. He says, Florida, Texas, we're not red states. We're under-organized states. And what we're doing now is working to get organized and win it back. The second thing I'd say is the heart of that state elected uh, at the time, a 25-year-old Afro-Latino organizer musician to the United States Congress. That's not a state that you give up on. And so I feel good about the future of Florida. We have a lot of work to do, but we're here to do it. Representative Frost, thank you for being here. Representative Maxwell Frost, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.